Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning. My name is Joel. Welcome to Three Creeks. I get to be the pastor here, and we are in the middle of this series called Kings and Kingdoms. We're walking through the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. I've shared it a few times. I should say it again. When it was originally written, we don't know who wrote it. It was one big book called Kings. And for people like me that might get overwhelmed by a 47-chapter book, they said, ah, let's make it two volumes, make it a little bit more easy for Joel to read. So somebody had a good idea along the way, and we're in today, 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. We're in week five. Here's where we've been so far. We talked about King David, who was the second king of Israel. This is all about the, the monarchical period of history of ancient Israel, about a 400-year span. We talked about David. He was the favorite king, the man after God's own heart, we talked about Solomon for a couple of weeks, the man with the, with the half heart for God. Man, he did some good stuff, but ooh, he doesn't end well. And then last week, oh, and by the way, if, if you're wanting to catch up, all of this is on Spotify, YouTube, wherever podcasts are found, it'd be probably beneficial because this, this series does feel like one big story. But last week, we talked about the Civil War, a war that lasted 200 years our civil war in our nation's history lasted four, five, six years, I'm not sure. 200 years after Solomon's son, Rehoboam, takes over, another guy named Jeroboam, they, they split the nation between the north and the south, and the north takes on the name Israel, and the south takes on the name Judah, and there become, there's king after king after king after king in, in both of the kingdoms, and it just feels like the whole time you're reading First and Second Kings, they just get worse and worse. In fact, a couple times that I'm going to highlight today, you're going to see that it describes these kings as doing more evil than even their fathers did. They don't trend upward. Their, 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 their drive for money and sex and power and riches, it intoxicates them. And they do things that you, you read them and you wonder how it could possibly be written in the Bible. The whole time you read... First and Second Kings, inevitably, inevitably at some point, you have this question, will there ever be a good king? Can there ever be one that doesn't get worse and, and make decisions that make us sick? And, and I, I've shared this a few times too, but I should definitely share it today. The first pass through First and Second Kings, you'll read it, and you almost read it, you feel like it's a history book. First there was this king. He reigned this many years. He was replaced by his son, this king, who reigned this many years. And, and you read through it and you go, this feels a little bit like I'm back in history class. But, but what I'm going to show you today highlights that this was not written as a history book. It was written through a theological lens. It doesn't just want you to know what happened. It wants you to know what God was doing as it happened. I'm going to talk today about somebody who... Uh, I think a lot of you guys are going to be pretty familiar with. He slides into the story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, seemingly out of nowhere. And it's a person that I think, you know, if you grew up in church, you might be familiar with his name. Even if you didn't grow up in church, I think this guy might ring a bell. Some of the stories about his life are, are pretty popular, even in, you know, non-Christian circles. His name is recognized. 
So before we talk about them, I'd like to pray for myself and for us, because I think today could be an important day for somebody on their spiritual journey. Will you pray with me? Lord, I confess that from time to time, I have a hard time believing that everything that the Bible says actually happened. Doubt creeps in, unbelief creeps in, and if I'm not careful, sometimes it's overwhelming. But Lord, today, would you remind us, through your word, that even though this story was, that that it took place and was written about thousands of years ago, that in in an unbelievable and miraculous way, it still applies to our life today. I'm grateful for that, and I pray that that would be everybody's experience in here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Here are a couple of the kings that I just talked about who, I'm going to tell you what they did and you're not going to hardly believe it. So Israel, the northern kingdom, first king up there, his name was Jeroboam. His son Nadab became the king. He was overthrown by a coup that was thrown by Basha. And Basha went ahead and just killed every descendant and friend that Jeroboam had. Elah then became the king after Basha, and he was killed when he got drunk at a party by Zimri, but people didn't really like Zimri. And so Zimri got to be the king for a whole seven days, one week, as the king. He knew his time was up, and so he set fire to the palace while he was in it, along with a bunch of other people. Omri became the king. He got sick and tired of everybody going down to Jerusalem, which is the the real capital city of the nation. He said, we're building our own capital. And so he built a capital city in the north called Samaria. And this is what is said about him. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all of those before him. And then he had a son named Ahab. And Ahab was even worse. And Ahab killed two of his own children. He sacrificed them because he thought it would bless his attempt to rebuild the city of Jericho. And it will come as no surprise that this aroused the anger of God. It says that Ahab did worse, did more evil than anybody before him. And and so God, because he is just, but because he is also merciful, and he's never one without the other, he decides to send prophets. What prophets do is they come and they're the spokesperson for God to God's people at a certain time. So he sends a prophet. In his justice, this prophet is going to come and he's going to inflict punishment on Ahab, on the northern kingdom, that they're going to have to endure as consequences for the evil that they have done. But he's also going to tell the truth about repentance. This prophet is going to say, even though you have done these things, if you turn back to God and if you repent, God doesn't turn his back on you. And so this prophet is sent by God to Ahab, to the northern tribes, to, the, to, the, to Israel, which is the northern tribes. And his name, you might recognize it, is Elijah. God sends Elijah. In, an, in 1 Kings chapter 11, excuse me, 17, verse 1, we're introduced to this man named Elijah the prophet, a Tishbite. That was the name of his family. And so here's what I want to try to do. I timed this. I think I can do it. I'm going to take 12 minutes and tell you eight short stories about our man Elijah. 
This is Elijah season one. There's season two and three coming up here in the Bible and in our series. But this is Elijah season one. This is just in three chapters of the Bible, eight short stories about our man Elijah. You're like, I don't know if I have time for eight episodes. This is like Bluey. They're short and they're good. You know what I'm saying? Here we go. Episode number one. It's called Ravens in the Ravine. So the first thing Elijah did is he prayed that there would be a drought. And it did not rain on the land. And the word got out that the prophet Elijah had prayed that there would be a drought. And so people are out for Elijah. They want to kill Elijah for bringing this on the nation. And so Elijah has to flee to a valley called the Kerith Ravine, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, miles and miles away. No food, no water, can't go into town because people will recognize him as Elijah. He has no food and no water. And 1 Kings 17, 6 says that ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and brought him bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah had ravens delivering his food. Here's episode number two, the bottomless jugs. After he's done being fed by ravens in this ravine, he, he goes to another place called Zarephath, and he meets a widow there, a widow who has a son. And Elijah is so tired from his journey that he says, can you, can you please give me some bread and some water? And she says, I don't have enough for both us and for you. She says, in fact, my plan was to bake this bread with this last little bit of flour that I have. I'm going to feed my son and myself. This is the end, and we are going to die after we eat it. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. Bake me some bread, and you will find that your jar will never run out of flour, and your jug will never run out of oil. And 1 Kings 17, 16 says, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. She kept putting her hand in there and pulling out more flour. She kept tipping the jug over, and there was more oil. Episode 3, the breathless boy. That son, the widow's son, became ill. He stopped breathing in a room upstairs. The widow got mad at Elijah. What would you come here for? Just to feed us for a little bit? Can't your God save my son? And Elijah goes up the stairs and prays over the boy and prays over him. And it says that breath filled his lungs. It says the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. And Elijah carried him downstairs and he said, the boy's fine. He lives. Here's episode four. This is like the double episode. This is the one that's a little bit longer. You might have heard this one before, but just in case you haven't, this is unbelievable. So... Elijah prayed, right, that it wouldn't rain, and it hadn't rained for three and a half years on the land. And the time had come, God said, okay, it's time for it to rain again. They've, they've, they've endured this part of the punishment, but I'm going to get some glory while, while I bring the rain back. And so Elijah says to King Ahab and all of his servants, hey, I'm going to pray for it to rain, but before I do, I want to have a competition Ahab said, a competition. Elijah said, yeah, meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring all your servants. Bring all your fake prophets and bring them on up there. I'm going to meet you up there, and, and, and we're going to have a competition to see whose God is the real God. And so Ahab, bring, I, I've had the chance to actually be on Mount Carmel, and it is not an easy hike. It took a while to get up this mountain. King Ahab, 850 of his 
prophets and thousands of other people make their way to the top of Mount Carmel. On the other team, it's just Elijah. And then Elijah gets everybody together. He goes, all right, here's the competition. We're going to build two altars. So he builds an altar over here with rocks. He builds an altar over here with rocks. They kill two bulls. They put one bull on top of this altar. They put another bull on top of this altar. And Elijah says, okay, here's the rules. You guys get to go first. You guys get to call your God. I'm going to get a turn. I'm going to call on my God. Whoever's God sends fire and burns up the sacrifice, that's the real God. And so Ahab and all 850 of the prophets, they, they, they get to go first. And they start working themselves up into a frenzy. They're running around the altar. They're dancing, singing, doing all this weird voodoo magic stuff. They're cutting themselves, calling out to a God that doesn't exist. And as you can imagine, nothing happens. They, they, they start at dawn, and it says that they go all day past the noon hour just working themselves up, trying to conjure up something that doesn't exist. And as you can imagine, of course, nothing happens. And it's finally Elijah's turn. He doesn't have as much time as they did. And so Elijah gets right to it. But before he does that, he does one thing that's interesting. He, he calls to some of the servants and he says, hey, bring some water. Bring a bunch of jugs of water and pour it on top of this altar. Pour it on this bowl. I'm going to stack the odds against God and you're going to see how great he is. And, and Elijah starts praying. He says, God, show him who you are. Thousands of people watching. 850 exhausted prophets sitting over there wondering why it didn't work for them. And the, I mean, you, you can't even hardly put it into words. God sends fire from heaven. This is what 1 Kings 18.38 says. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. Gone. Can you imagine? It says that everybody there fell on their faces and said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. What would you have done if you had a chance to see that? Well, after that was over, Elijah prayed for rain. He prayed for rain at the beginning of chapter 17, and after the bull and the altar and the waters all disappears because of the fire of the Lord. He prays for rain again and it says that the skies grew dark and that a heavy rain began to fall. That's verse or that's episode five. Episode six, maybe the smallest but most remarkable to think about on a practical level. I call it the tucked cloak. When Elijah got done showing who the real God was, he was about to pray for it to rain, and he said, Ahab, why don't you take off? You can go to Jezreel, 17 miles away. That's where you're going to want to be when this starts raining. I'll give you a head start. And Elijah prays, and it begins to rain. And then it says in 1 Kings 18:46, the power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. A man on a chariot is outrun by a man with a tucked cloak in a 17-mile race. Episode 7, the freshly baked bread. Well, as you can imagine, when our man Ahab gets back into Jezreel and tells his wife Jezebel what had happened, that 
that Elijah had embarrassed all of their fake gods, she said, by this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead and sends out all of her hitmen to go and try and find Elijah. And so Elijah doesn't run 17 miles. He actually travels another 100 miles. And because he is physically exhausted, it gets to the point where Elijah actually says to the Lord, haven't I done enough? Can I just die? I would rather die than be in the pain and the hunger that I'm in right now. And this is what it says, that an angel woke, woke him up. And he looked around, and there by his head was some, bake, some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And then this is the one that's the most theologically puzzling for sure. This is worth a deeper dive. I'm going to skim over it now. I call this episode the whisper of God. God says to Elijah, I'm going to reveal something about myself that I have never shown you before and really haven't shown anyone before. And Elijah goes out to a mountain in a cave. And there's a powerful wind that comes on the mountain that shatters rocks. And Elijah's got to be going, this has got to be God. And God says, no, 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 that's not me. It's not what I want to show you. Then there's an earthquake. Our man's in a cave. You've got, he's got to be thinking, this is it, right, God? And God says, no, 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 hang on. This, this isn't what I want to show you. And then there's fire. I don't know how, but there's fire that came down. And Elijah's like, well, this has got to be it. God says, no, 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 I want to reveal myself in a new way. 1 Kings 19 says, after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God came as a gentle whisper. Clearly, I didn't do any of those stories justice by themselves. But you can see our man Elijah has quite the resume. And that's season one. You keep reading chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22. You start going into 2 Kings. There are a, a few more stories about Elijah that there's a reason why he's in like the Hall of Fame of children's Bibles. This guy's unbelievable. Go, go back, uh, look at that real quick. Which one of those is your favorite? If you could watch one episode again. Which one jumps out at you as your favorite? Which one would you pay the most money to see for yourself? Think about that. Which one would you pay the most money? I think I'm going with episode four to be on Mount Carmel. Wow. Here's the thing about this. I'm going to be honest with you for a minute. I know you're probably going to be disappointed in me because I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to have all this theology stuff figured out. But I'm just going to be honest with you for a minute. On one hand... These kinds of stories make me love the Bible. I remember hearing these as a kid and just being like, God is unbelievable. I can't believe that happened. And I, I can, I can, I've just played these stories over in my mind. I remember being in Sunday school. They had the felt board with like the felt images and they'd put them on there. And I remember just being like, wow, this happened. And so on one hand, I... I love the Bible because, you know, there's parts of this that seem a little boring, lots of lists and numbers. And then you get to like 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, you're like, wow, this makes me love the Bible. On the other hand, 
this makes me not love the Bible. And here's why. Because stories like these make the gap between somebody's experience in the Bible and my experience with God seem very, very wide. Anybody else? I've never had ravens bring me food. Our oil always runs out. I've never had a battle on top of Mount Carmel. I don't think I want to have that battle. I'm just saying it just feels like the gap between what I read in the Bible and their experience of God and my personal experience with God. I'm just being honest. It feels like that's a pretty, that's a pretty wide gap between the two. Anybody else? And, and then, and then there's, there's this thought that begins to come into my mind where I go, yeah, it just doesn't feel like this stuff happens anymore. And then if I'm not careful, if I'm not careful, that can spin all the way to, I wonder if it ever actually happened. It doesn't happen anymore. I wonder if it ever actually did happen. And this is, listen, this part of the message is for people that doubt every once in a while. So if that's not you, you can just kind of tune out. We'll learn from you a little later. I'm just being honest when I say, I don't know. And, and the good news, though, for us is that we're not the first group of people to wonder if all of this really happened. If you've ever read the Old Testament and thought, really? You're not the first group of people. You're not the first person that's ever had that thought. Think about this. A lot of these stories, they, they weren't recorded on video. They were passed down. They were written down, but they were mostly passed down through storytelling, oral tradition. Dads and moms telling their children what their, grand, what their parents had told them. And these stories were passed down and written and translated and written and passed down. And, and, and there had to be a point in time where it got to be so many generations where the kids start going, did that really happen? We haven't seen anything like that. Or did grandpa, did he start, is he drinking too much again? This just seems like it hasn't been my experience, so it's hard to believe that it was somebody else's. Publicly, this is, this is an important distinction. Publicly, nobody said they didn't believe Elijah. Elijah's a hero. To every Jewish boy. You and me, when we were growing up, when we wanted to be a superhero, we'd put on a cape. Because that's our idea of a superhero. A Jewish boy, 100 BC, you know what they did? They tucked in their cloak. They started running around being like, I'm like Elijah. Because publicly, there was no doubt Elijah's stories, what happened to him, what God did through him, it was true. No question about it. But privately, I'm just saying, I wonder if they wondered... I wonder, and I, I, maybe I'm just, I'm, I'm saying that to say, maybe publicly we have no problem with this, but privately I'm wondering if we wonder. I've got good news if you would consider yourself somebody that wonders every once in a while. Catch this, this is, this is pretty crazy. 700 years after this happens, did you know, well, Jesus was born 700 years after this happens. Did you know that Jesus had a, had a little brother? He had a number of siblings, but his most famous sibling 
was his half-brother, James. James didn't believe that Jesus was God. Even growing up, even up to the point where Jesus was killed on the cross, James was out on Jesus. James saw Jesus after he came back from the dead. As you can imagine, that tipped the scales. Our boy James was in. He saw a dead man walking. And so James goes on to become one of the founding fathers of the church. And James knew that there were people all over the world that were wondering if the Old Testament really happened. There's a period of 400 years between when the last word of the Old Testament is hap happens and when the New Testament starts. 400 years, generation after generation, just stories passed on. And so James knows there's a group of people that are going, did it really happen? And, and he writes to them. He wrote a letter. It's called James. He named it after himself. No, he didn't. We did. That was pretty funny, actually. I thought about that. Anyway, okay. James chapter 5. He talks about Elijah, the hero. He boils it down. In James 5, 17, he says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. That, if you're a Christian in 2024, that might be one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. That Elijah was a human being even as we are. In other words, Elijah is not a Bible superhero that you could never match up to. It might seem like he has something on us. But James is going, listen, Elijah was a man. And we're all on level playing field as it relates to where God's at. And then, he, and then he's, he talks about one thing that Elijah did. Of all the things that Elijah did, James apparently thinks this one is the most impressive and worth mentioning. He says, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain over the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah prayed, and God heard him. Elijah prayed and God answered. And he was a, a human being even as we are. It's important that we don't over-spiritualize or over-complicate this. James is writing to post-Jesus, post-resurrection Christians saying Elijah was a man just like we are. He doesn't have as much on us as you think that he does. The experiences that Elijah had with God are not as far away or as impossible as you think that they are. He prayed, and it rained. And he prayed again, and it, or it didn't rain, and then he prayed again, and it rained. I didn't tell you this part of the story earlier, because I wanted to tell it to you now. This, this prayer that Elijah prayed, oh man, how it happened. How it happened. The, the, the altars burned up. People are all leaving. Ahab's on his way to Jezreel on the chariot. Says that Elijah got on his knees. Says that he got down and he put his head between his legs like this. And he prayed that it would rain. And he sent his servant to the edge of the cliff. And the servant ran to the edge of the cliff and he looked over the sea. And he came back and he said, Elijah, guess what? There's no rain cloud. Elijah thought, all right. So he prayed again. 
Lord, send the rain. He said, all right, go. Servant goes over to the edge of the cliff, looks over the sea, comes back. Elijah, guess what? No rain cloud. Three times, four times, five times, six times. Elijah. He prays for rain. He says, go look again. And the servant comes back after the seventh time. He says, you're not going to believe this. There's a, there's a small dark cloud forming over the sea. And it says that the sky drew, grew dark and the rain started to come down. And uh, see, Elijah was a human being just like us. But see, the difference between, just being honest again, the difference that I see most apparently between him and me is that he was remarkably persistent in his prayers, and I give up very easily. Our man Elijah, I don't know how long he would have gone, but that man was persistent. I don't know, maybe he would have prayed 40 times. I don't know. It took seven that time. Our man Elijah knew that this is what God wanted him to do, he knew that God wanted to use him to do this, and so he prayed, and he was relentlessly persistent in his prayers. And if you look at me, man, sometimes I get excited about something. I'll pray for it for a period of time, but when it feels like maybe God's not listening, I shelve it because I don't want to face the disappointment of having to talk about it again. I put it aside. I'll let it play out. I wonder if God's listening to me. I wonder if he cares. My faith goes down. My whole prayer life sometimes will go down because he's not answering one thing that I need him to answer in the timing that I want him to answer it. Some of you guys know this, but about 15 months ago, here at Three Creeks, we rolled out this idea, this dream this vision of having a ministry center here in Gehanna called The Well. For four weeks in a row in here and in our Sunday services, we talked about what it would mean for our church to have a, a place that we could serve from and love from, a place that we would have for 24-7. Tons of people jumped in, made pledges, super generous, super sacrificial. I prayed a ton about it early on, man. A ton about it. But after going to see 73 buildings, I'm a little discouraged. And my prayers are not as consistent as they were. I'm beginning to wonder, will the costs ever go down? Will there ever be a building that's what we're looking for? And I, I, I'm, I'm personally feeling compelled to recommit myself to be a persistent and faithful prayer for the well. And I, I, I planned to talk about this weeks and weeks ago on this particular Sunday, February 4. Our three elders, Cody, Tyler, Levi, they had no idea that I was planning to talk about this. They too are feeling discouraged as well. We feel like we're letting you down. I know that you probably would be like, no, you're not. We're waiting or whatever. But we feel the, the weight of leading our church in this way. And so Cody, having no idea we were going to pray about this, and I, I'm hesitant to share this because I don't want you to think I'm making it up or making it over spiritual or whatever, but 
Cody on January 26, nine or ten days ago or so, sends an email to the gang, says, hey, what do you guys think about this one? It's a building that we looked at before. At, the, at first we were like, ah, I don't know if that's the one. Levi replies, hey, let's leave no stone unturned. We owe it to our church to lead out in this way. So I said, all right, we'll do it. And we went and we saw it. I think it was Wednesday this week. And man, I'll tell you what, we took some building uh, team people with us and started talking about what it could be. And we all walked out of there like, oh, my goodness, this 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 could be it. And I, I, I'm hesitant to share it for this reason, too. The last thing I want to be is the guy that's like, hey, we're going to get it. And then next week, be like, yep, never mind. So I don't want to be that, but I thought, man, if I don't share this kind of stuff with you, one, I'm forfeiting your prayers, and two, I'm excluding you from being a part of the whole story. And so here you are. Here's where we're at. We looked at it once. We're going to go look at it again on Wednesday. If we keep moving the direction we're going, we might make an offer this week. I don't know if they're going to take it, but I want to invite you to pray with me that this, this, I'm cautiously optimistic about this. I'm excited about it. But I want to have wisdom and courage and the, the combination of the two. You know what I'm saying? So I want to ask you to pray with me. And I want to confess that I haven't prayed as persistently as you probably think that I have about that. On a personal level. On a personal level. When Morgan and I got married... Part of the deal was that we believe in adoption. We think it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. We love kids. And we wanted to participate in being adoptive parents from the beginning. And three and a half years ago, the Lord blessed our family with our daughter Willow. And that has been amazing. And But pretty much right away, right as soon as Willow was born, we knew doesn't feel like our family is full or complete. Feels like there's, just feels like there's one person missing and there's more love to give. And so Morgan and I, once again, you know, teamed up with our agency and said, hey, we want to adopt a child again. And I'm telling you, man, I prayed about this. I couldn't pray without praying about this for a while. I was persistent. And over time, because it's been three and a half years and I haven't heard Jack from our agency. And we were coming to the point where we've already renewed our home study once. And so if it gets past June or July this time, we'll have to renew it again. And we don't know what to do. And I'm just, I'm just confessing to you that, man, if things go on and it doesn't feel like God is listening, I just, start, I just shelve it and go, maybe, I don't know. I just ignore it. That's the difference between me and Elijah. He's just a man. But he was so persistent in prayer. Can I just ask a a, a pointed question? See if you can answer it. What have you stopped praying for? What have you been tempted to give up on? What have you stopped praying for because it doesn't seem like God cares? Is it your health? Is it for your family to grow? 
Is it for a certain relationship to be reconciled? Is it for the truth to come out? Is it for a child who is rejecting you? Is it for emotional healing? Is it that somebody would forgive you? I'm sure there's more that came to mind. What does your heart long for, but you've given up praying for it because it just seems like it's been too long, it's too far, it's impossible? And, and listen, you and I both know, well, maybe I shouldn't say that. I just want to make sure that you do know. This is not some kind of magic trick that we're able to pull with God. This is not, you know, to get that, it's 21 prayers. To get this, it's 34 prayers. There's, there's no magic formula to it. That's nowhere in the Bible. This is, this is maybe what's the most important thing I need you to hear me say as we close here. The power in persistent prayer is not that God will finally hear us, but maybe that we will finally hear God. Let me say it again. The power in persistent prayer is not that God, we're going to somehow wake him up and he's finally going to hear us. But maybe, maybe the power in persistent prayer is that we will hear God. Remember how God came to Elijah and revealed himself? It wasn't in an earthquake or a fire or a wind. It was in the gentle whisper. How? Listen, friends. How? How will we ever hear God if we don't pray? How will we ever hear God say things to us like, I just need you to wait a little bit. How will we ever hear him say things like, I'm sorry. How will we ever hear him say things like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be over soon. How are, we, how are we going to hear him say, yes, I thought you'd never ask. How are we going to hear God whisper if we don't persistently pray? And let, we, my family's got this, this board in our, in our room, our kitchen. It's like the 10 trainer family values. And a lot of them don't make sense to anybody else, but to us they do. And one of them, it says prayer changes things. And if I were to say to my kids, prayer they would say, changes things. And it's written, I, I think Joanna Gaines may have written it herself. It's like perfect and cursive or whatever. I'm tempted to take a Sharpie and go up there and just write next to it, prayer changes things, and just write, especially me. The power in persistent prayer is not that God will hear us. It's that we will hear God and be changed by him. And so let me close by just asking one more time. What have you stopped praying for? What have you put on the shelf? It's time to pick it up off the shelf and start praying for it again. Because God might want to say yes, but God definitely wants to meet you in that place. Andrea, would you come up here? Andrea, uh, she's one of our prayer team directors, and she's going to just guide us into a time of prayer here as we close our service. Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com.